Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. I was all prepared last Sunday to to preach, and, and of course, you know that I had the kidney stone attack. But... Prior to that, I was reminded of several things. And I don't know if everybody's like me. Do you ever just seem like you get bombarded with ideas? I mean, from here and from here and from here. And, and some of them are good. And some of them I get surprised. I said, where did that come from? That was a real good idea, you know. But all these thoughts were going. And, and, and I don't remember what specific order they came to me in. But... As I began to think about them, I, I felt like God gave me this message. They began to merge into a message that I feel led to share. And before we get into me sharing, one of the things that influenced my talk, uh, thinking that week was I had received an email from one of our ministries that we support, Chosen People Ministry. And many of you remember that he came in and shared with us concerning the Passover, Messiah and the Passover. And I've uh, got an email from him with a video clip. And I'd like to put that on at this time and, uh, because it really ministered to me and fits in good with what I want to share with you this morning. Tisha B'Av, or the ninth day of the Hebrew month of Av, is a day of fasting that is considered the most tragic and mournful day on the Hebrew calendar, falling usually in July or August on the Gregorian calendar, an almost unbelievable string of disastrous events throughout Jewish history have taken place on this day. According to Jewish tradition, 10 of the 12 spies, all except for Joshua and Caleb, brought back a bad report about the land of Israel on this day. The Romans crushed the Bar Kokhba revolt on this day in AD 135. The first crusade commenced around this time in 1096, which led to more than 10,000 Jewish deaths. On or around Tisha B'Av, the Jewish people were expelled from England in 1290, from France in 1306, and from Spain in 1492. In 1914, Germany entered World War I on Tisha B'Av, which would ultimately reshape that nation and create an environment in which the anti-Semitism that led to the Holocaust would thrive. On Tisha B'Av in 1941, the Nazis approved and began to implement the final solution, marking the beginning of the Holocaust. In 1942, just one year later, the mass deportation of Jewish people from the Warsaw Ghetto to the death camp at Treblinka began, also on Tisha B'Av. Each of these events led to unspeakable Jewish suffering and death. There are other examples of the devastation that we can mention. However, in the Jewish heart and mind, the most significant and horrific atrocities to take place on Tisha B'Av were the destruction of Solomon's Temple by the Babylonians in 586 BC, and the second temple by the Romans in AD 70. Because of these things, primarily for the religious Jewish communities, Tisha B'Av is a day of mourning and fasting. 
For 25 hours, there is no eating or drinking, no washing or bathing, and no marital relations. There are intense prayers recited while taking a posture of humility, sitting or lying on the floor. There is crying out to God, asking Him, Where are you? While reading through the Book of Lamentations, the emotion-filled, heart-wrenching lament attributed to the weeping prophet Jeremiah, who watched as Jerusalem was ransacked and leveled by the invading Babylonians. While the heaviness of this day can be overbearing, it is important to remember that with God, there is hope that one day, God Himself will reverse the effects of Israel's national sins and regather His people to the land of Israel. This messianic hope looks ahead to a day when God will restore Jerusalem, rebuild the temple of praise, and take up His place as King, ruling and reigning from His throne in Jerusalem. Amid man's destruction, there exists a hope built on Messiah. We can even say that Tisha B'Av, a story of destruction, persecution, and suffering, an account of the awful effects of sin, and a story that ends with God's promise for a glorious future, it is the story of Messiah. And it is one that is found in biblical prophecy. Lamentations 2.9, which is read on Tisha B'Av, describes the severity of the invasion of Jerusalem. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The Torah is no more. Also her prophets find no vision from the Lord. It describes a situation that is very bleak. Her gates have sunk into the ground. It's a very telling description of how the invaders destroyed and buried the gates and walls surrounding the city and the Temple of Solomon. The city was leveled, hope was cut off, but from the midst of the rubble, God speaks hope. Psalm 24-7 describes the prophetic reversal of Lamentations 2-9. It is one of the most glorious descriptions of the coming of the Messiah, the King of Israel. It states this, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The city that was once left desolate will be gloriously lifted up, reestablished, and fully restored. And such a rebirth will only come with the return of the King Messiah himself, Yeshua of Nazareth. Isn't that impressive? All of them basically one day. I know some of you may have known that. Maybe you've very aware of it, but I wasn't. Many of you have heard me say that I'm not a prophecy preacher. But we, we kind of have to back up and rephrase that. Because, see, prophecy is more than foretelling. Prophecy is forthtelling. Not just foretelling. See, most people, when they talk about prophecy, they're talking about predicting or prophesying about the future. But the reality is prophecy is forthtelling, telling the truth, telling 
the truth, speaking the word. And I admire people that are prophecy scholars, and I'm challenged by their insight, and yet that is not my area of gifting. But during my meditation, I was reminded again that prophecy was not only foretelling, it was foretelling. Paul was not known for his gift of prophecy, but he certainly spoke forth the word of God and the will of God. I was reminded of my childhood. Can any of you, did any of you grow up in an Assembly of God church? Got a few, got a few. What did you, what was the message on Sunday night? I can almost guarantee you, in my home church, it was one of three things. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, or the rapture. And I was reminded of that. I was reminded of the four points of the Royal Ranger emblem, the gold points for you guys. It's uh, what are the four gold points? The four main teachings of the church. Salvation. Holy Spirit, healing, and rapture. Now, I've already told you what they were, but I can let me just tell you a few things that they are not. Now, I'm not telling you that these are not biblical. I'm not telling you that these are not important, but I can tell you they're not the main teachings of the church. Prosperity is not the main teaching of the church. Positive thinking and positive confession is not the main teaching of the church. Politics is not the main teaching of the church, but neither is pew-sitting. See, some of you thought I was going to leave you out, didn't you? <laughs> Those are not the main teachings of the church. And I know some of you say, well, pastor, those things that you mentioned, they're not popular. You can add that to the list, that things that are popular are not the main teaching of the church. Because the Word of God has never been popular. I said the Word of God has never been popular, but it's the power of God unto salvation. And I was reminded of some of those things, and I want to share with them with you today. And I want to start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now a lot of times people emphasize that passage. That the God will return like a thief in the night. Many of you even remember that series, The Thief in the Night. Remember those stories? Thief in the Night. But it goes on to say, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains become upon a pregnant woman, or as kidney stones come upon a fat preacher, <laughs> and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers. You're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, 
but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Encourage one another that, friends, that one of these days the rapture will take place. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And yet, why are we anticipating that with fear? Why do we look against it when we realize that for the church, it means that the future that we've been preparing for is no longer the future, it is now today. Tomorrow finally gets here and people are sweating it. People are anxious about it. It says that we're to have a message of hope. And again says, but you're not in darkness, brothers. You're not in darkness. What does that mean? That means that you have an instruction manual. I said, you've got an instruction manual that the world either does not have or does not know how to use it, or like many Christians, it sits upon a desk somewhere and is never opened. But this instruction manual tells us that we don't need to worry, that we don't need to be anxious, that we need to be ready. And there's a major difference in that. Now let's go over to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter two. Many of you know who Daniel was. He's probably the greatest prophet As far as foretelling anything, he foretold so many great, great events. And every one of them he nailed specifically. But let's read what it says in chapter 2, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. And told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Now, what was the mystery? What was the mystery? Well, the king had had a dream and he couldn't remember what the dream was and he didn't know what it meant. And he called all of his wise people together and he said, I want you to tell me what my dream meant. Said, okay, king, what was the dream? Said, well, I don't remember. (laughs) But if you can't tell me what your dream, what what my dream was and explain it to me, you're going to die. How many things is serious? I mean, these were... uh, Magicians, now when we say that, they were the magi. They were not people that pulled rabbits out of hats. They were people that studied the scientists and everything. But all these things, he said, call them all. And he said, and so Daniel pulled his guys together and said, fellas, we got a major problem. If we do not answer this question, we're going to die. So he said, let's ask God. How many thinks that's a good place to start? Let's ask God where the mystery is. Let's ask God what's going on. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and Daniel answered him and said blessed be the name of God forever and ever for whom wisdom and might 
He changes times and seasons. Notice this. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and in the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we are asked of you and you have made known to us the king's matter. Then he went on to begin to to explain the prophecy. He began to explain the dream. He interpreted, he translated for him all through the insight that God had given him. And so what Daniel was saying said, listen, we don't depend upon our own strength. We don't depend upon our own guidance. We depend upon a God that's able to give us the wisdom, give us the wisdom that we need to um, be able to understand the things of God. And how many times as Christians do we expect the world to give us in information and to explain spiritual things to us? No. We expect that. But see, God not only gives us an instruction manual, he gives you and I, when I say you and I, I'm assuming that you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I do not want to uh, be offensive to you, but uh, you won't understand what I'm about to say. Because God has given an instruction manual. He gives spiritual insight that the world does not possess. The world does not possess it. And I know somebody saying, Pastor, don't you think you're a little egotistical? I can't even spell that. I had to look up spell check to make sure I had it right in my notes. So I don't uh, pretend to be egotistical. I don't intend to be arrogant. I don't make the rules. I just have to play by them. And God says this. God says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. That's another way of saying foolish. They're foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. As a Christian, God has given us levels of spiritual discernment. And I say levels in spiritual discernment intentionally because I believe the more we grow in Christ, the more our spiritual discernment can grow and he reveals things to us. I've been using this phrase a lot. It's almost like peeling off an onion. You keep peeling off the layers and get to it. So as a baby Christian, you have a limited knowledge of discernment. But as you grow in him, as you study your word, as the light of God removes the darkness of mankind, you begin to have spiritual insight. Now, what am I saying? I'm telling you, quit wasting your time arguing with people that are not believers because they're going to think you stupid. Now, you say, why would you say that? Because that's what I said. The Bible says they think it's foolish. It's folly to them. So, so don't expect people to understand spiritual insight if they do not have it because they're walking in darkness, not walking in light. Now, that does not mean we need to be arrogant. That does, need to mean, does not mean we need to be hateful or despiteful. Spiteful. We need to love them with the love of God, but we need to understand that we have the instruction book and we also have the mind of Christ. And so we ought to understand some of those things. 
Now, so some of you say, well, Pastor, you, you showed us that video. What did that have to do with today? It has a lot really to do with it. Because, see, not only has God given us instruction manual, not only has he given us the mind of Christ, he's also given us a calendar. He's given us a calendar. Now, before you shut me down, I am well aware that I am not to predict the day of the rapture. The Bible is quite clear that that's unknown to man, that we do not know the day nor the hour. But how many times in the scripture does God tell us that he will show us the mystery, that he will reveal to us certain truths? And I, I can tell you, and as I've already mentioned, I'm not a prophecy scholar, but I've had to change my theology a lot over the last few years. Now, I'm not talking about my relationship with God. I'm talking about things that, because see, I never thought the United States of America would be where we are today. Amen. I, never, I never dreamed that it could be happening that we could see the deterioration of our country as quickly as we've seen it. And again, I want to tell you, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about godliness and ungodliness. And you say, well, what about that cal calendar? Because nobody knows the time of the rapture. But the writer of the manual gives us some insight. See, early in this manual, over in the book of Genesis, let's read Genesis 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars now I think all of you are smart enough to understand that that's the symbolism of our creation capsized in just two verses how many knows that it's a lot more expansive than that? But within this, we see some words that are used over and over again. The words like signs, seasons, days, and they're very significant. They're very significant. I've told you that I was not a prophecy scholar. Well, I'm not a Hebrew linguist either. I don't read Hebrew Somebody say, well, if you can't read Hebrew and you're not a prophecy scholar, what are you? Well, I think the best illustration would be the, the pastor that got caught for speeding. And after he, the police officers began to write him a ticket, he said, sir, would you please not give me a ticket? I, I, I can't afford a ticket. I'm just a poor preacher. He said, yeah, I know. I heard you last Sunday. That kind of explains me. A lot of my theology is a lot like Opie and Andy. I, I love this. I saw this on, on somebody put it on Facebook when, when uh, Opie was asking Andy Griffith, he said, Paul, when is the rapture going to take place? And Andy said, well, Opie, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcoming committee. That's kind of how simple I am. So I've had to change mine. But we realize that the word signs, seasons, and days, biblically speaking, those are very, very, very important words. 
I said they're important words. Let me just read one verse out of Psalm. You don't need to turn there. But Psalm 104, verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows its time for its setting. So seasons used in Scripture often refers to festivals. When you see the word seasons, many times that word could be substituted festival or even feast. In other words, a season. Some of them are translated holy days. So he said there's going to be many seasons. There will be some feasts. There's going to be some celebrations. There's going to be some festivals. And I want you to encourage you to do something. Check out the great events in the Bible that occurred on festivals or feast days. Even Jesus said on the last day of the feast, he did these things. On the great events of the calendar, just like that video that we watched, all of those happened on that one day. On the one day. Now, there are a number of feasts. And I realized this morning as I was preaching in the 8 o'clock service that I'm not able to give this justice. But there are a number of Jewish feasts. But the three big ones are Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah. Two of them we know have taken place. The first Passover, offering the Passover lamb. Then, of course, when Jesus became the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, he fulfilled the scripture. The signs and the seasons. Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came out and was poured out upon man. And that was the birthday of the church. And the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, is when the trumpets are blown to represent the calling home of the nation of Israel. And we believe the calling home of the church. Now, am I saying that's going to happen on Rosh Hashanah? No. But I did find it interesting when I looked up the dates of Rosh Hashanah and notice I said dates, not date. Because Rosh Hashanah is one of the Hebrew feasts that does not happen on a day. It covers parts of three days. This year, it's September 25th, 26th, and 27th. Now, I'm not saying that the trumpet's going to sound on those days. But isn't it kind of interesting to note that when it says nobody knows the day nor the hour, but we can know the seasons. So we have the manual. We have the mind of Christ. We have the seasons. We have the, the calendar. What's the next thing we do? Well, I think we need to follow the advice of Jeremiah. Can you imagine the heartache as he watched Jerusalem being destroyed. And I want to tell you something. He saw it happening before the event. But he also saw the actual event. No wonder he was known as a weeping prophet. Because he saw his nation being destroyed before his very eyes. He saw that Jerusalem... Temple 
being dismantled. No wonder, as he wrote the book of Lamentations, and you know what that means? The book of Lamentations was a dirge, a funeral dirge for the nation of Israel. That Jeremiah was writing. And prior to that, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah gave some great advice. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, he was given the advice that God gave him. And when you give God the advice, that's good advice. Then says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that you may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for you will find your welfare." What's he saying? He said, for 70 years, you're going to be in exile. Now, don't pray that the stone would be taken away. Because for 70 years, you're going to be there. But while you're there, you've got some work to do. Why do you think the church is still here? Because we've got some work to do. I said, we've got some work to do. Amen. And he told the nation of Israel, Jeremiah said, listen. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf for its welfare. You will find your welfare. What am I saying? I told you that politics is not the number one issue of the Bible. But I want to tell you something. If the church had never gotten out of America's politics, we would not be in the mess we're in today. Because as America prospers, we can prosper. Now, maybe you've never thought about it. As sad as it will be for me, if I live to see this nation crumble. What is even sadder is to see us lose our ability to impact the world for Christ because we can be only as strong as our nation. That's what Jeremiah was saying. Pray that your nation, well, yeah, but we're, we're, here against our will. We're doing all this stuff. They're treating us terrible. Pray for your nation. Minister to your nation. Because as your nation prospers, you shall prosper. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who do are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord. He goes on to say, when 40, 70 years are completed, then I'm going to do something. See, when Jesus left here, he, what did he, advice did he give? What did Jesus give to the, during, when he was here on this earth? He used the illustration of the talents, Remember? He said, a man was leaving, 
and he left his money in the care of people's hands. He left it as stewards. And he said, while I'm gone, take this money and do something with it. Take the talents and do something with it. God wants the church to take the talents and the God-given abilities that we have and do something with it. He does not want us to bury it because that's what one of them did, right? And he said, take it away from the one that buried it and give it to one that I had invested it. What am I saying? I'm telling you that God has left the church one main event. He said, I want you to preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Telling them that Jesus saves. That there is hope in the world. And it's not in the world government. And we know that a world, one world government is eventually coming. We know it. You say, why? Because it's in the book. But until then, God tells us to occupy until he comes. To be about the Father's business. We call it the Great Commission. But I think it could be the Great Commandment to go. To go. The prophet Amos, I just want to share two, two scriptures real quickly. Prophet Amos shared two things. In Amos chapter 3, he said this, For the Lord does not nothing, for the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. God wants us to be in the know. That doesn't mean we're going to know when everything's going to happen, but he wants us to be observant to the times, be observant to the seasons, and know that our only hope is in Christ. Our only hope's in Christ. And then as he closes out the book, he says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seeds. I know that we have a hard time accepting this here in America when we see many, many people where church attendance is dropping. But I'm telling you that in many parts of the world today, this scripture is being fulfilled. That souls are being saved by the thousands. Souls are being saved by the thousands. That the reapers are overtaken the plowmen. Because there's, I mean, I mean, the plowmen are overtaken because they can't plant it quick enough. It's bring, it's, it's like my guava tree. And if any of you want a little quick, some guavas, I got so many, I can't pick them. They've overtaken the harvester. So help me out if you need some. But the harvester, and I want to tell you, throughout the Christian world today, we don't hear it, but there is revival in the world today. I said there's revival. Much of the revival is the people that are hurting the most because they've got no other hope except Jesus. Jonathan Burness wrote the book, A Rabbi Looks at the Last Days, and this is 10 years ago. But this great prophet says that the Messianic congregations are springing up all over the world. There's more Jewish believers today than at any time in history. Let me say that again. There's more Jewish believers today than any time in history. According to Bernice, there may be as many as 500,000 Messianic Jews. God is moving. God is moving. And I know some of you say, Pastor... There's so much I don't understand. 
Can you show me in the book where it says that you have to understand it? He just tells us to believe it. Huh? Well, I don't understand. It doesn't even say we have to agree with it. Just says we have to believe it. I want to read one more passage from Daniel. As he closes out his book. Daniel was receiving inspiration from God. And Daniel asked God, or he said in verse 8 of chapter 12, I heard, but I didn't understand. Daniel, the greatest prophet in the Bible, says, I don't understand. And you think you need to understand? Listen to what he said. Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed at the time of the end. I believe that was God saying, okay, Daniel, just chill. I know you've understood a lot, but there's some things beyond your comprehension. I want to tell you something. If God revealed a lot of things to us, it would scare us to death. We need to just sometimes thank him for our stupidity. Ignorance, Ignorance is bliss, and I'm blissfully happy. Amen. But it says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up. In other words, you're not going to understand it. I know some of you are asking, well, what are you saying? I'm telling you, quit worrying about trying to understand everything. And just listen and do what God says. Because see, the best way I can describe this is a little bit like Christmas with kids. And for those of you that are going to be baptized in water, if you want to go ahead out this door over here and be bad, we're going to have a baptismal service in just a minute. And I don't want to delay you folks, so I'm letting these people go ahead and get ready. But it's an amazing thing that, and I'm not comparing the rapture to the Christmas. But you know, as, as kids, many of them look at Christmas different ways. There's some kids that are so excited. Why? Because they know that they're going to get something nice for Christmas. And they're excited. You can't contain them. And they start saying, what are we going to do? And what, do you, what advice do you give them? You say, listen, Christmas will get here soon enough. You just go out and take care of what you're supposed to be doing. Go out and play. I'm telling you what God's telling us today is he's coming. But to go out and be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Getting ready for his coming. Because it doesn't matter if you understand it or not. Is it, are you ready or not? I remember that hide and go seek as a kid. What was that saying? Here I come. Ready or not. Listen, there's a lot of people that don't understand the rapture. A lot of people don't agree with the rapture. But guess what? Here I come. Ready or not. And it says, I want you to be looking at the signs, looking at the door, knowing that the redemption is what? Drawing nigh.
Why? Because Emmanuel says so. The mind of Christ says so. The calendar says so. So let's keep our eyes focused upon Jesus. But I wanted to read one verse that I close my Bible. Let me get back to it. That closes out Daniel. But he says, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your lighted place at the end of the days. Those words I don't think were written just for Daniel. For every one of God's children. Go. Go until the end. Whatever it is. And you shall rest. And just stand in your lighted place at the end of the days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And God, I realize that I've dumped a lot on those people's plates today. And I ask you to help them to eat what they need to eat and understand what they need to understand and receive what they need to receive. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.